Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us all become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, news about landmark nonprofit regulatory reform in Washington State, and Gordon College has canceled a Christian speaker for sharing what the Bible teaches regarding human sexuality. We begin today with the latest chapter in the Duggar family saga. A federal judge in Arkansas has dismissed a lawsuit filed by four of Josh Duggar's sisters that claimed local government officials improperly provided police records to a magazine about abuse by Josh Duggar that occurred when they were minors. The sisters Jessa, Jill, Ginger, and Joy claimed Springdale and Washington County officials released police documents to In Touch magazine in 2015 in violation of Arkansas's law prohibiting the public disclosure of information that directly or indirectly identifies a victim of sex abuse. The magazine published information gleaned from these documents, which it had obtained through an Arkansas Freedom of Information Act request. But U.S. District Judge Timothy Brooks acknowledged in his dismissal of the case that while officials should not have released the records, the evidence showed that they had tried to protect the victims through a series of redactions and that revelation of their identities was not, in fact, intentional. Josh Duggar is now 33 years old and the father of seven children. He was convicted in December of 2021 of downloading and possessing child pornography. That's a case that we've covered extensively here at Ministry Watch. He's awaiting sentencing and faces up to 20 years in prison. Our next story also involves sexual abuse allegations. This against the Texas-based Institute in Basic Life Principles. The abuse allegations recently resurfaced in an NBC story tracing the history of that organization. The NBC News story published on February the 6th, and it highlighted the ministry's many scandals since its peak as one of the most popular seminar hosts in the evangelical Christian community. Chief among those scandals were the abuse allegations that led Institute for Basic Life Principal founder and former president. President Bill Gothard to resign in 2014 after stories that I originally wrote for World Magazine. But Warren, as you just said, your story about these allegations came out in 2014. Why is it in the news now? Well, the NBC story highlighted the ties of Bill Gothard and his organization to the Duggar family, the family that we just talked about. The problem came when the Institute for Basic Life Principles posted a statement on its website refuting some aspects of the NBC story and defending its practices. The post quickly prompted a counterstatement from three of Gothard's former accusers. On February 5th, three former plaintiffs in a 2015 civil suit about the abuse allegations published a paragraph-by-paragraph commentary countering IBLP's narrative. Their medium post was written by Rachel Frost, 
Karis Barker and Rachel Lees, who were among the 10-plus plaintiffs alleging sexual, physical, and psychological abuse by Gothard and his organization. Rachel Frost, as she is known now, told Ministry Watch that IBLP's media statement contained, and these are her words, manipulations and distortions of the truth, and it made many of us who knew the inside story sad and angry that the most they can offer is a no comment after decades worth of abuse within their organization. Meantime, all of the negative publicity over the past few years hasn't been good for their financial health of the organization. Well, that's one way of looking at it. I would say that the root cause was the organization's own behavior. The publicity is effect, not cause. But I do take your point, and you're right. In 2015, the organization had more than $10 million in revenue. Today, revenue stands at less than $5 million. Expenses far exceed revenue, and it has survived in part by selling off assets that it had accumulated during the heyday of the ministry in the 1970s and 80s. Warren, let's look at one more story before the break. And it's a strange one, but one that is a result of a reader tip. Yeah, that's right. And it will be a story for anyone interested in the Messianic movement, which includes hundreds of churches and tens of thousands of Christian believers. And while that movement may have many outstanding leaders, Isaac David Heckman does not at least appear to be one of them. The self-appointed rabbi of Assembly of Called Out Believers, a Messianic congregation in Wenatchee, Washington, is facing felony assault charges and has a trial currently set for March the 1st. The charges include accusations of domestic violence against a woman he was dating, and for a while they were also apparently living together, though they kept their relationship a secret. Yeah, in 2013, Heckman also pled guilty to assault of his then-wife and was required to pay victim compensation of $500, take parenting classes, have a domestic violence evaluation in order to have no contact with his victim. Heckman's LinkedIn profile says that he was also at one time the executive director of another Christian ministry called Serving Others Worldwide, which is a nonprofit humanitarian organization. Warren, Ministry Watch reporter Kim Roberts looked into the Assembly of Called Out Believers. What did she find out? Well, the Assembly of Called Out Believers website describes Heckman as a Torah teacher and senior pastor, but lists no credentials for his training. He says that he's a member of the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America, the MJAA. However, Joel Chernoff is the general secretary of MJAA. He checked their records and found no evidence that Heckman is or has ever been a member of MJAA, according to Joel Chernoff, nor has he been ordained by our affiliated congregational organization, which is called the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues, nor is his congregation affiliated with the IAMCS. And its doctrinal statement also causes some concern. 
Yeah, whether the assembly of called out believers even qualifies as a Christian congregation is uncertain given their statement of beliefs. The group does not believe in the doctrine of original sin, and it has views related to the Trinity that are hard to reconcile with historic Christianity. I won't get into the theological weeds here, but we consulted with Dr. Egal German, a Messianic Jewish apologist, who said that the group sounds more like it's a part of the fringe. Hebrew Roots Movement. So what would you say the bottom line here is? Well, the bottom line, I think, is to stay away from Isaac Heckman and the Assembly of Called Out Believers. Well, Warren, we need to take a break here. But when we return, controversial Tennessee preacher Greg Locke says he's now hearing from demons. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, up next, the story I promised before the break, and it's the story of a controversial Tennessee preacher, Greg Locke. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we've been reporting on Greg Locke for a year or more. He's been in the news for his controversial views on COVID-19, on the January 6th U.S. Capitol riots, and a lot more. Last year, he was permanently banned from Twitter because of the false statements that he was posting there. This week comes news that he is now claiming to hear from demons. On Sunday, the worship team at Global Vision Bible Church had just finished singing Oh How I Love Jesus when Greg Logg stood up and began telling the church about his conversation with demons. So what did he say these demons told him? Well, the demons, he said, had revealed the names of a group of what he called full-blown spell-casting witches who had been sent to infiltrate his church called Global Vision. That's a non-denominational church a little bit west of Nashville, where Locke is a pastor. To God be the glory, I lie not, he told the congregation on Sunday, which was meeting in a packed tent on the church's property. We got first and last names of six witches that are in our church. And you know what's strange? Three of you are in this room right now, he said. Locke said that two of the witches were in a women's Bible study that his wife led. Warren, Locke's preaching is clearly outside the boundaries of Orthodox Christianity in a number of areas. Why do people keep following him? Well, it's a great question, and it's important to note that this tent service last Sunday, though, was packed. So Locke 
while he's fringe in many ways, he has attracted a substantial following, which is why we here at Ministry Watch think it's important to keep an eye on him. To answer your question, though, about why people follow him, I think one of the reasons is politics. He's been pro-Trump, anti-vaccine. He's promoted conspiracy theories about Democratic politicians and a child abuse ring. He has made claims of election fraud. And the claim that COVID-19 pandemic as a hoax received national news. And it resonates with some people. Uh, it's a very small percentage of people, but in a country of 330 million people, if you can get just 1% to follow you, you have an audience in the millions. And that apparently is what Locke is trying to do. In fact, clips of Locke preaching on YouTube have been seen by millions of viewers. So, Warren, I have to ask the question that I often ask. What's the bottom line here? Well, I think the bottom line is to be very skeptical of Greg Locke. His preaching is not biblical, as you said. He does not release his ministry's financial statements. There's a lack of transparency and accountability. Don't give him money. Stay away. Now, Warren, on the other side of the spectrum is a ministry doing really great work, and that's Denison Ministries. Yeah, that's right. And we have a profile of this rapidly growing ministry this week on the Ministry Watch website. I first got interested in Denison Ministries because of its popular daily email, the daily article, which I have found to be pretty helpful. In fact, I've had Jim Denison on this podcast in the past. So what did you find out when you took a closer look? Well, a lot of good things. The ministry reaches nearly 7 million people a month. Its daily email, the daily article that I just mentioned, reaches about 2.9 million recipients. Uh, I'm a fan of these emails. They're thoughtful, biblical, and helpful. And the organization has grown from a startup to more than $7 million in revenue in just the past decade. Oh, that sounds really good. Are there any red flags? Well, a few. Uh, We're always concerned when a ministry takes the name of the founder. Uh, We consider that to be something of a red flag. It also concerns me that Denison has three family members working for the organization in senior positions. But perhaps the most significant red flag is that Denison Ministries classifies itself as a church and doesn't release its Form 990s to the public. That's a major concern. Denison Forum does so many things right that I hope it will reconsider this decision and start releasing Forum 990s to GuideStar, ProPublica, and other online services so the public can see information there. Our next story involves Gordon College, which many people consider to be an elite Christian college. However, they recently canceled a speaker who spoke out in favor of biblical sexual norms. The speaker was accused of misogynistic and transphobic comments. Yeah, Marvin Daniels is the executive director and CEO of the Hope Center, which is a nonprofit that serves children, youth, and families in Kansas City, Missouri. He was scheduled as a featured speaker at the Massachusetts College during its annual Deep Faith Week, which started on February 14th. He was scheduled to speak at least three times, but after speaking at a chapel service, his remaining presentations were canceled. Yeah, he said that we're living in a chaotic culture and that social media was adding to the confusion. He said that even Christians were rejecting God's design for gender and sexuality, and that when Christians confuse the biblical message, that only adds to the chaos of the culture and brings that chaos inside the church. I mean, that sounds like fairly normal biblical teaching. 
Well, it is, but it didn't go over well with Gordon College's LGBTQIA plus community. They organized a rally against Marvin Daniels, and the administration capitulated and canceled the rest of Daniels' presentations. Uh, Gordon President Michael Hammond sent a notice to the student body later in the day saying that Daniels would not be speaking that evening. Instead, um, Hammond himself spoke, addressing Daniels' remarks in a closed-door session. So what's next for Gordon? Well, this is a developing story. I've had a number of Gordon parents and alumni reach out to me on this story. In fact, that's how we came to know about it in the first place. So we'll keep an eye on things there, and I'm pretty sure we'll be bringing you news if there are any developments. Warren, we're going to take another break. When we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Uh, We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, up first, a Birmingham, Alabama megachurch that has campuses across the state of Alabama and even one in Georgia is continuing to expand. Church of the Highlands recently purchased 17 acres near its Alabaster location in two transactions totaling about $2.5 million. That was according to the Birmingham Business Journal. Senior Pastor Chris Hodges, who founded the Church of the Highlands in 2001, announced in early 2020 that the church intended to buy buildings for five of its locations that were renting temporary spaces. Yeah, Highlands has become one of the largest and fastest growing churches in the nation. It currently has 24 locations, including uh, one just over the Alabama border, as I mentioned, in Columbus, Georgia. But this church has not been without controversy. Yeah, it's the flagship of a group called the Association of Related Churches, which has as members churches uh, with celebrity pastors that have been engaged in divorces, lawsuits, and other public events that have shed a negative light on both those churches and pastors, but also on ARC itself. You can see our coverage of ARC by going to the Ministry Watch website and typing Association of Related Churches into the search engine. And we have an update on a story we first reported last week. Yeah, that's right. Last week, we reported that a youth pastor in Minnesota at a megachurch there was accused of fourth-degree criminal sexual conduct with a 17-year-old member of the youth group and arrested earlier in the month. Now comes word that the youth pastor's father-in-law, who is a pastor of the church, has resigned. Yeah, Mark 
Perryman stepped down as minister of Northridge Church in Awatana, Minnesota, uh, nearly two weeks after Sean Patrick Massapust was arrested on February 2nd for allegedly having uh, that relationship with a girl in his youth group. This is according to the Steele County Times. His wife, Tammy, the director of the church-affiliated Sunshine Tree Preschool, also resigned, as did Felicia Massapust, Sean Massapust's wife, and the Perryman's daughter, who helped lead the women and youth ministry at Northridge. Perryman had led that church since 1991. Yeah, that's right. More than 30 years. Uh, The alleged victim was a former employee of the preschool who also was a babysitter for the Massapitz children. This is a tragedy all around, Natasha, but especially for the victim of sexual assault herself. And it also highlights the dangers of having a lot of people from the same family in senior positions in a Christian ministry or church. I say this a lot, but it's worth repeating. Christian ministries do not belong to the president the executive director, the pastor, or the founder. They are not family businesses. When they start acting that way, that's when we start seeing all sorts of problems. Warren, our next story is not glamorous or sensational in any way, but you wrote this week that you think it's highly significant. Yeah, yeah, I did, and I continue to think that. Uh, Rules governing nonprofits in Washington State got their first facelift in 50 years when the calendar turned over to 2022. Uh, Washington lawmakers had approved last year legislation that modernized nonprofit statutes uh, to address virtual meetings, added regulations to protect charitable assets, updated rules around nonprofits and their members, and fundamental transactions. The changes took place on January 1 of this year. These look like pretty routine changes. Why do you think they're so significant? Well, in part because they are, as I said, the first changes in 50 years in Washington state. But if you look at the national level, we also haven't seen significant regulatory reform of nonprofits since the 1960s. We're long overdue. And I think that what's happening in Washington state will be a bellwether for other states and maybe what will be happening in Washington, D.C. in the years ahead. Now, are you saying that you're in favor of more regulations? No. In fact, I would say just the opposite. But I do favor more disclosure. Fifty years ago, the possibility of putting financial statements on a website for all to see was not a possibility. And of course, it certainly is today. Today, it should be standard procedure, in fact. And in most cases, it's not. So while I'm not in favor of more regulation, I am in favor of some rational re-regulation that I believe in the long run will prevent a serious crackdown by the government on nonprofits. It's important to remember that the public is not as in love with ministries or, in fact, any institutions today in the same way they were in the past. So if we don't see some rational, incremental reform of the nonprofit space, it's very possible that we'll see future draconian regulations that none of us want. After a week off, Christina Darnell is back with her Ministries Making a Difference column. What does she have for us this week? 
Well, one of the items that caught my attention was the work of a Youth for Christ chapter in North Dakota. Volunteers there are leading a quilting class in the public high school and junior high there as a way to get on campus and have a positive impact in the local schools. The students learn sewing and quilting skills, and the quilts that they donate are that, that they make rather are donated to a nearby youth correctional facility. And if you don't think kids can make a difference, Christina's next item might change your mind. Yeah, students across the country raised more than $10 million for the Assemblies of God's Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge in 2021, smashing the previous record by more than a million dollars. Kids from a Texas church, for example, sold food and crafts from around the world to do- to raise donations, while a church in South Dakota held a chili cook-off. Others in North Dakota hit baseballs, and a church in Alabama held a kid's triathlon. Some of these events raised just a few hundred dollars, but altogether, as I said, they ended up raising more than $10 million. Wow, that is amazing. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, just a quick reminder um, that uh, Christina's Ministries Making a Difference column is made up often with information that we get from readers and listeners. They send us news tips, press releases, emails, and links, and Christina chases down the details. In fact, that's how we get a lot of our stories. The Gordon College story came from alumni that were concerned and reached out to us with an email. So if you have a story that you'd like for us to cover or a ministry that you think needs a closer look— just email us. Our email address is info at ministrywatch.com. That'll come directly to my desk, and we'll take it from there. Also, a reminder that you can help this program by leaving us a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for others to find us. It's a quick, easy, and free way that you can support Ministry Watch. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Bob Smetana, Steve Raby, Kim Roberts, Shannon Cuthrill, and Christina Darnell. Special thanks to the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials to this week's podcast. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.